0: Hi, this is Erica Bogan. And thank you for listening to the I Am Spartan podcast with Scott
1: Knowles.
0: I am Scott the Fane Knowles, and you're listening to another episode of I Am Spartan OCR podcast. What's up, everybody? got a cool episode here. Uh, Andy Morris comes on and tells us about his world championship race over in Abu Dhabi. And he tells us about what it's like to travel over there and kind of like things you do and things you don't want to do. And uh, it's a really cool episode. Also, this will be my last episode for the year. But on Thursday, I'm going to be recording with Obstacle Running Adventures, Michael always hosts kind of like an OCR podcast uh, roundtable where we all get together and just chat about things that's going on throughout the year. And uh, Michael always does a great job, and he always does some really good questions, and he does all the work, and I look forward to doing it every year. So make sure you check that out. I'm pretty sure it's going to come out this Sunday, if not this Sunday, probably next Sunday. But uh, make sure you check that out. And here's the interview with Andy Morris. Andy Morris, what's going on today, brother?
1: Hey, Scott. Good to hear from you. How are you doing?
0: Yeah, man, pretty good. So are you over all the jet lag you probably got from flying halfway around the world?
1: Oh, my gosh. Uh, Normally, I can adjust really well. I've flown all over the world for work. Um, My past life with the U.S. Army. But I haven't jumped around time zone to time zone like I did on this trip. Um, And with that, my daughter and I, you know, we flew over to Dubai. Uh, We spent a few days in Dubai, and then we went to Abu Dhabi and ran the world championship for Spartan. Right. And then about three days later, we went over to Paris uh, for three days and then to Amsterdam for three days. So um, just when we were getting ready, you know, used to one time zone, we jumped to another and then came home. Uh This has been the longest time to get adjusted to time zones, and I was waking up hungry and ready to start my day at eleven thirty at night,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it looked like y'all had an awesome uh racecation man but uh but before before we hear more about that, man, tell us a little bit about you, like where you're from, you know, how old you are, like what you do for a living,
1: yeah, um. Andy Morris. I grew up on a farm in Minnesota, up in northern Minnesota. Um, When I was 18, well, right, way before I was 18, when I was 12, I tried joining the U.S. Army. Hmm. And they uh, kind of laughed at me and gave me a duffel bag, a be you can be duffel bag. So right. that kind of ages me with that Army slogan. Um, <laughs> okay. So then I joined a, the U.S. Army and delayed entry at 16. My parents signed for me. Wow. I spent the rest of the time, um, the two years from 16 to 18, just kind of getting groomed for the Army with one of my um, high school teachers. He was a warrant officer in the National Guard in Minnesota. Uh, so, I left for the Army right out of high school and uh, left Minnesota and never went back. I went uh, to basic training in Kentucky, Fort Knox, Kentucky. Right. And then my first duty station was Fort Carson, Colorado. So, I loved doing that Spartan race. Mm. Um, and then traveled all over the world with the Army. And, you know, during our time as young adults, if you can remember, it was quite busy. Uh, I was in, you know, Kosovo, Bosnia. Right. Uh, 9/11 broke out, so I went right to the Middle East in uh, the end of 2001, mm. and basically spent a lot of time there until I got out in 2005. Um, and I cut my military career short um, because of injury, and um, they at the time they just needed warm bodies, so. I was injured. I was a rear detachment first sergeant for about a year, and I said enough of this, and I took an early retirement. So,
0: right,
1: um, yeah. In in the army, I was in reconnaissance. Um, I got picked up. I made it through special forces selection, and cool. uh, yeah, I got hurt and through the training, so I had to put a pause on that, and then I got uh, even more injured in Iraq. So, uh,
0: <laughs> how'd you get injured?
1: Um. Well, I broke my hand uh, in training in Special Forces, so I had to sit on the sideline. And mm. when I was on the sideline, I was like, you know what? I want to go to Iraq. Uh, the war just broke out. And being a young, hard-charged guy that I was, <laughs> you know, uh, when we're young, war seems to sound sexy, and uh, that's what I wanted. So I found my way over to Iraq and lived through um, about a half a dozen roadside bombs. Oh, uh, but I had my... Brain rattled uh, quite a bit on one of them and then had some um, uh, ulnar nerve damage on my left hand, which is my dominant hand. So uh, my time in the Army was cut short uh, just because of injury and they didn't have time to rehabilitate me. It was just, um, you know, unfortunate because I would have rehabilitated. As you can see, I run Spartan races now, but uh, at the time they wanted warm bodies. I could go to war and I wasn't one of them. <laughs>
0: So they, they pretty much just, did they early retire you or did you early retire?
1: Uh, it was a mutual agreement because they gave me a job that just sucked. Um, if anybody knows what the military is like, they made me a rear detachment first sergeant and, uh, it was basically babysitting people that didn't want to be in the military anymore.
0: Oh, shit! Uh, Yeah. That sounds awful.
1: Yeah. And yeah. (laughs) <laughs> you can only put up with that for so long you know um getting woke up all parts of the night to go take care of so-and-so uh go bail them out uh make sure you take the you know uh put them on watch because they're uh violent to themselves or others um you oh, know, wow. drug problems so yeah i mean i don't want to get into too deep into it but right, yeah yeah um, you get a bunch of people that uh you know are uh, injured, wounded, or you know, suffered from PTSD untreated, and you wind up with uh, uh quite, quite the workload mm. <laughs> as re detachment sometimes.
0: <laughs> so, how long did you serve?
1: I served for um, a little over 10 years.
0: Oh, that's a long time,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: So, were it your was. plans to go career and then that happened?
1: It, it sure was. Um, I um. When I made it through Special Forces Selection, um, I was the first time going that. And I had just unlocked my mental fortitude and kind of tapped into my mental ability back, you know, at that point. And um, I was a stellar soldier. I was making rank really quick. Uh, In fact, I'm probably one of the few people that made... Um, that was promoted E3 in the morning and E4 in the evening. Um, my oh, wow. date of rank for E3 and E4 are the same day uh, in the Army. So, yeah, I um, I thought I was going to make a career out of it. And then my plans were special forces, and I wanted to go Delta Force, and then I wanted to become a nobody in the CIA, you know, after Delta. so. <laughs>
0: Well that sucks man that you know that happened and it cut your career you know short you know because I know a lot of people that join the army they a lot don't want to go career so you know that's unfortunate that, that happened.
1: Yeah but it opened other doors you know for a while it took me a while to get through that um you know I hit that lull when I got out and was like okay now what you know we all go through that I know you know if you um uh, for those that are listening to this that are military veterans, you know what that's all about. You get out and you uh need to repurpose your life and um kind of the lead into that was Spartan help and repurpose my life. Uh, I needed something to get me going again to you know to work towards to keep me in shape. you know you start letting yourself go mm-hmm. uh and it's pretty damaging to the mental health as lo- you know as well as the physical health so nice.
0: So when you got out, you said you had to like rehabilitate your hand. Like, how long did that take?
1: Um, well, they did surgery in t- two thousand seven. It uh, was in the Veteran Affairs, and um, the medical system was pretty piled up back then. So I got my hand operated on in two thousand seven, um, and it was a good year of recovery on that. And then also I, um, a couple other side notes is, you know, I tore my labrum in my right shoulder in Iraq and I tore my, one of my ligaments on my right ankle in Iraq too. So wow. I had some other things to, <laughs> to get fixed as well. Um, so yeah, I, I had a good, uh, year after 2007 to recover from some surgery. Um,
0: so, so what are you doing for a living now?
1: I am actually in um, in neurophysiology oh, wow. um, I went to school and uh studied uh, biology and genetics and DNA and then I also went into environmental science and I did nothing with the environmental science other than it's um regulatory heavy and I work in a regulatory world for you know the f d a so it 's similar to the e p a which I would have used in my degree. Mm-hmm. And, um, I work in neurology, so I, um, navigated the whole kind of sector of neurology. I was a, um, operations manager for a medical device company. I was in research and development, um, product development. I worked really close and I still work close with, um, hospitals like the Mayo Clinic, Stanford, mm-hmm. um, duke university so some of the big names out there and now i manage a couple of sales teams for medical device for neurology device sales so yeah i've navigated my way around neurophysiology but that really ties into fitness uh, you know into the muscle too because you know uh, without the brain the muscle's not going to work so right. i'm also getting all my certifications in personal training nutrition and um just kind of blending the two knowledge bases together. I've, um, and then my mindset, I've now started morphing my own coaching company that I'll be launching in 2023, where I'm helping people with, uh, fitness, um, uh, lifestyle, kind of be a life coach, uh, you know, a fitness coach, and also a mindset coach. Um, I've really helped a lot of people over the years break the mindset that they have or tap into the mindset they didn't know they had. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now I'm going to kind of apply that more in a career uh so yeah i'll be thinking about making a career move here in the next year
0: oh are you going to go full-time doing that
1: well yeah i'm uh, yeah i'm looking at some um, obstacle course uh some perspective or some um possible buildings here in town where i live i live in eastern washington now and uh thinking about opening an obstacle course a ninja gym um, as well as an endurance gym. It's going to be different than CrossFit. I want it laid out to where people can come in and train for DECA and High Rocks. Um, and, you know, um, yeah, there will be some CrossFit opportunity for people to train on their own, but it's not going to be CrossFit heavy uh, right. in my gym that I'm looking at doing.
0: Yeah, probably, I always thought it would be cool, and I'm sure they have them somewhere, but there's there's nothing like ninja gyms or rock crawling gyms like where I'm at. Or rock climbing gyms. But I always thought it would be cool to have, like, you know, a ninja gym that's also, you know, like, you got a ninja gym on one side and then you have the rock climbing gym, like, on the other side and you can use both sides, you know, kind of vice versa, you know. But traditional, you know, traditional rock climbing gym, you know, but you've got these two, you know, things there that you could do at the same time if you wanted to. I always thought that'd be a cool idea. I'm sure somebody's done it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, as I put my business plan together and my budget, uh, I would love to go all in like that. And know, I've thought about that. Like, Oh man, it'd be nice to have like this all compassing, you know, yeah. encompassing endurance gym, but, uh, <laughs> the price tag is scary. I'm sure.
0: Yeah. Cause I imagine like for like a, a really good rock climbing gym, you're going to have to get a place that's got a really tall ceiling.
1: <laughs> right. Yep. Yeah.
0: So, um, You said that you started, you got into Spartan racing when you got out of the military and you rehabbed, but how did you, how did you initially like find it and how did your first race go?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it took me some time. I was wandering for, um, probably a good seven or eight years trying to figure out how I could, uh, how I could push myself again. And, you know, I went into just basic weightlifting and running and, you know, it just became going to the gym, doing a little bit of running here and there. But um I, I saw the Spartan Games happen when, you know, in the, what was it, Uh around 2012, 2013, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, that looks great. But I never pulled the trigger on it. You know, I always yeah. was a little intimidated by it. I'm like, you know, because it's like, oh, wow, these guys are young, uh, hard-charged and you know, I considered myself broke by then, but, uh, <laughs> I continued to work on my physical fitness because I wanted to keep up with my daughter. Um, that was my kind of my vow to myself since I was a kid that I would always be able to be active in my thirties and forties. And so I kept up with my physical fitness and I was going from gym to gym. And I went to this one gym here in town that really pulled, really pulled me out of my dad bod days. And, um, just kind of opened up the idea that I, Hey, I'm an endurance athlete. I can run again. I can, you know, um, I was doing hit training with him and it was group training and this girl, she noticed, you know, I was always pushing myself hard. She said, Hey, a group of us are going to do a Spartan race in Portland. And this was in twenty. 20- 16 i think or 2017 so like i said there was a gap in time from the military i'm out wandering trying to figure out how to push myself again right to my first spartan race and i was like oh yeah they're gonna go and you know they wanted me to come with them and i'm like all right yeah this is gonna be a team event so i pictured it being like a tough mutter, you know i hadn't done a tough mutter yet but i was like oh cool we're gonna do a team event we're gonna get each other through Mm. and i knew a few of the people going down there and didn't know the rest of them, but, uh, we went down there on a long weekend to Portland and, um, we lined up on the start line together. It's a sprint down there. Um, and the first thing I noticed is I look over and there's a guy with no freaking legs or torso. I, you probably have seen that guy on yeah. uh, YouTube. He was at the start line with me and I'm like, Holy smokes. All right. If he's out here doing this, I'm going to be out here doing this, you right. know? And so our group took off and I kept pulling ahead of them and we're all in the open class wave. You know, at this time I didn't know about age group or elite or anything. And I kept pulling ahead of them and, you know, waiting for them and just kind of having to cheer them on and, you know, get them through an obstacle. And (laughs) so my buddy finally is like, look, go ahead and finish. (laughs) We'll be behind you somewhere. And, uh, so I finished a race and waited for him, and I was like, holy smokes, this felt good. Mm. And I got done, and they are like, you know, this whole group thing's probably not for you, and you should look at competitive. Mm. And that's where I looked at age group, and I've never I've never looked back. You know, I've done a couple open races to get a trifecta weekend done. Right. Um, just because there's no sprint available for um, age group. But,
0: right.
1: Yeah, that was my introduction to Spartan, and um, just kind of tapping into it and realizing that I, uh, I had it in me and it was just waiting to get out.
0: <laughs> well, it must so, have, it must have really soaked in good because you traveled to the world championships in Abu Dhabi both years. So,
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, and I wouldn't have had I not qualified, you know, uh, years past I didn't qualify, you know, and I, um, uh, I really took it serious when my daughter jumped in. Right. Right and when i started getting in the top 10 and the top five in our age group at some races i was like you know what okay i guess at a national level i am competitive now you know <laughs> so <laughs> i know you and i have uh, crossed paths a few races and yeah. i hope we do quite a few more uh together because it's always fun out there running with you and chatting with you a little bit
0: oh yeah man we always have fun dude so tell us about how the race went. You know, you, you, you the, because the Beast was, was it on Friday or was it, right? The Beast was on Friday over there, right?
1: Yeah. So Friday, America, Saturday over in Abu Dhabi, oh, 12 gotcha. hours ahead of you. Um, and man. It was, it, was almost, it was almost a disaster from the beginning trying to get over there. Um, my daughter and I, we were all packed up, excited. We were just ready to walk out the door to the airport, and mm-hmm. we got a cancellation notice on our phone, okay. both of us at the same time. We were like, are you kidding me? We didn't even get a flight delay. It's just straight cancellation.
0: Oh, man.
1: And we're in a little regional airport here and we were having some snow Uh, in the mountains between us and Seattle. And that's why they canceled it. Um, And Seattle was getting a little bit of snow. So I was like, all right, pack the car. We're driving to Seattle and we're calling Delta on the way there. So we scrambled and found a flight with Air France. Delta rebooked us with Air France and um, everything was delayed. We got over to Paris. Our flight was delayed in Seattle, so when we got to Paris, our Dubai flight had already left. I mean, we were watching it leave on the tarmac when we got there, so we had to wait another 12 hours in Paris. Um, Luckily, I travel a lot with work, and I have really good status with Delta and all its partners, Mm -hmm. Uh, so we got to stay in the Air France uh, Sky Lounge, and they had showers and couches, so we were able to kind of catch a few Zs and get caught up, and then... So we were about a half a day behind getting over to the Middle East um, to get ready for the race. And then uh, I I should have rented a car the whole time, but I only rented it for one day. It was a Lamborghini. uh,
0: (laughs) I saw that on your post. That had to be really fun.
1: Yeah, so we relied on a cab driver to get us to the race that morning, and he got lost out in the desert. And here I am telling him, like demanding he turn around, and I was like, you pass the Spartan signs, turn around, follow the dang signs. So once I got him on course (laughs) to follow the signs, we got to the race, and it it was a late start, thankfully. So Riley was up first, my daughter was up first in her heat, and then I was a half hour behind. And the weather was perfect. It was about 10 degrees cooler than it was last year. Right. Last year it was 97 when we raced. This year it was 87. So, um, and we pulled it, they pulled it inland a little bit. As you remember before, it was like three and a half hours from Abu Dhabi last year.
0: I remember them talking about that.
1: Yeah. And you're, we went through sleep deprivation and the campsites were just crazy because people were partying all night that were locals, you know, driving their, um, four by fours up the dunes and just, you know, the place smelt like exhaust. So, you know, <laughs> we were loading up on carbon monoxide last year, but this year it was more, um, right, right outside Abu Dhabi. It was only like 20 minutes away, which was awesome. It was a great location, but we were still out in the desert in the dunes and, the course, you know, it has its own challenges. Last year, the sand dunes were just horrendous. You know, we we had one of the sand dunes, the Marie Sand Dune, last year. It was it's the world's highest sand dune, and we had to crawl up that thing. It wasn't a run; it was a crawl. Right. Even guys like Ryan Atkins was crawling up it. So, um, this year, it was more the the terrain. It was well laid out. Like I told Garfield when I saw him over there. Uh, Like they did a superb job of laying this course out and making it challenging because I kind of assumed like, oh, we're going to be in a flat course this year. It's, you know, they took some of the challenge out of it. They didn't. Um, They added a couple more um, challenging obstacles that a lot of people weren't used to. Um, Like the, um, what the heck is it? The uh, ape hanger? Is that what it is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the ape hanger, you know, there's a lot of people that aren't used to that obstacle, and they threw that in the World Championship this year, which I applaud them. That's a good one to throw in there.
0: Yeah, typically that new, you can only get that obstacle at Tahoe and Palmerton.
1: Right, right. So it was good to see that over there. Yeah. Um, and they threw that right about smack dab in the middle of the race. So, nice. you know, we're all starting to feel the heat, feeling the sand, and uh then you get to do that. So (laughs) that one always, that one always gases. you.
0: Oh yeah. And that's one thing I'm curious about. Like did sand come into, you know, I know that like people are running, you're kicking sand up Would sand. Is it the kind of sand that would kind of like stick to your hands? And was it sticking to the obstacles and making everything, you know, harder to grip?
1: Yeah. Um, a lot of us look like sugar cookies out there, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because of all the sweat. So, right. you know, when I was coming up to a grip obstacle, I was trying to get my hands clean and dry. So what I was doing is grabbing the webbing of the um, obstacle, you know, the, mm. the ratchet straps. Right. And I was running my hands across there to get them as clean as possible because my shorts, my body was full of sand. There was no way I was rubbing the sand off on my body, right. you know, my hands on my clothes. So I strategically went right to the the webbing on like the ratchet straps and stuff and just started cleaning my hands before the grip. But yeah, you it was definitely a lot of uh sugar cooking running around. <laughs> I'm sure. So <laughs> and then Go ahead. Yeah, and then running in the sand, you know, for those that don't train to run in the sand. It was a huge wake up call for people, you know, it just quickly within the first two or three miles, it stopped people in their tracks and they were walking. Um, Yeah, uh, because it wasn't it wasn't compact sand. Every time we hit a little patch of compact sand, it was like heaven. It was like, oh, my gosh, we get a little bit of uh, a break before running through wet concrete again.
0: Yeah, it's like you know when you're when you're at the beach, you never see nobody running in the soft sand. They're always running closer to the water where it's already packed and kind of still wet, you know, because yeah, it's so hard to run on. You know, I bet it was yeah. miserable.
1: Yeah, it well, yeah, it was. And I started feeling it um, as you remember when we were in Nashville. I rolled my ankle in that race mm-hmm. in Nashville, and it hadn't healed yet because I continued to train on it and you know i didn't want to lose sight of um training for the world championship and especially you know if if i was the only one going over there i might have decided to you know um not go but my daughter was going too, yeah so i didn't want to miss that experience of running that with her so ever since nashville i've been training on that rolled ankle that i rolled in that riverbed and um about mile three is where I had to stop and take my shoe off and rip the bandage off my ankle because I I had taped it and um, wrapped it for stability for that race. And it was swelling up so bad I had to stop and rip the bandage off of it. And, uh, yeah, because it was just, there was some pain there. So I was like, all right, another obstacle, run through the pain on the left ankle. Great. In the world championship, this is awesome. (laughs)
0: So um did most of the obstacles there were they uh did they still have burpee penalties there or did they have more penalty loops? I didn't even look at the map for it.
1: No, it was pretty heavy on penalty loops, uh, especially the challenging ones, you know, like right. the ape hanger, the multi rig, uh the spear, they were all penalty laps. Um which was kind of uh disappointing. Hmm. You know, there's nothing nothing better than uh, You know, getting winded after 30 burpees when you miss your spear.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, the. I mean, I'm kind of on the fence or a little bittersweet about it. I'm all for it because the staff doesn't have to work as hard. They don't have to have as many volunteers out there monitoring burpee pits. They don't have to count burpees. Once the, you know, the race is over in a perfect world, everybody would have integrity and they would do their burpees right. I understand that, but that's, that's, that's not the perfect world that we live in, but it's, it does, it, you know, it sucks because if you're an obstacle proficient person and you were counting on people failing race, failing obstacles to be faster that just got shot out of the water because the faster runners are going to run the penalty loops and be out of there before you even know they failed the obstacle. In my case, that, that that's my problem with it. But, you know, I it's like we was in Central Florida. I failed the spear on the super, but I was able to get back in the race even though, you know, there were some faster runners there, so... I mean, it, it's bitter. It's bitter. It's going to be bittersweet for every race you do. You know what I mean? But I guess the the best thing I can see out of it is, you know, you, you hated to see Ryan Atkins lose that race because he failed the spear and he had to do thirty burpees. And I know a lot of people say, well, maybe he just needs to practice the spear more. But I mean, I don't know anybody that's got a hundred percent on throwing spears you know somebody's made a mistake or went through the hay bale or you know something has happened you know so in that point i think it's kind of cool to where somebody can stay in contact with the race especially for the elite side and for watching it like on in the live feed or television or whatever i think it is cool to watch the elites be able to get back in contact with the top field instead of their whole race being blown because of one obstacle i do like that and it it, the best part totally is just the the less work the staff has to do you know
1: yeah yeah i i'm kind of torn like you um what really irritates me are the tap and goes though the people that just um, uh you know they come up to an olympus and they just touch the first obstacle and then jump on the ground and run to the penalty loop you yeah. know and there's no effort put in yeah. and i think there should be some type of greater penalty for that but then you have staff that has to watch that you right. know so now we're back at right. baby city so yeah i yeah. i agree with you
0: and here and that's where i would like to see like obstacles that are high risk for tap and go, which I think would be like stairway to Sparta, beast mode, uh, Olympus, and probably the spear throw. Because, yeah, I mean, I've seen, and I mean, I'm sure guys do it too, so I'm not just saying just the women do it. But how many times have we seen the top elite women get up there and pull the, and get the spear and just take a long time to aim? And when I've seen that in the past... I've wondered well you could touch and go and run a penalty loop and probably be done in that time to pull the spear to you get set and if you're taking a really long aim to throw you could probably just you know bite the bullet go straight to the penalty loop you know if you're one of those people that fails the spear a lot it would probably be better just to go straight to the penalty loop you know what I'm saying yeah. so it to me I think like Olympus Stairway to Sparta beast mode and the spear throw, their penalty loops just need to be a hair bit longer, just to prevent touch and goes. I mean, yeah. that's what I think. Because you are going to have some people that have never ever done Olympus. You know, they just don't have the upper body strength to finish it. They're going to they're going to touch and go no matter what. You see what I am saying?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And for people that are a little shorter too, that can't get up on you know, stairway to Sparta when it's in beast mode too, they're going to touch and go no matter what. So, I mean, you got to make it fair because the people that can make it, there is like an energy expenditure that's being lost when you do Olympus and stairway to Sparta because those obstacles take a lot out of you, you know, to, to complete them, you know.
1: They sure do. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Yeah. And maybe on those penalty loops, they had you know I don't know, uh, uh, like a a carry or uh, you something. Know, uh, yeah, a carry of some type to yeah. kind of slow it down and you know give you a challenge. If you're gonna do one, you know, if you're gonna tap out of one, you know you got a challenge ahead of you.
0: Yeah, or just something something added like a crawl, you know. And you always see on the foreign races where they have those chains that they put around their neck that kind of hang down you know, yep. put one of those like on a penalty loop, you know, I figured that's something that's not big as big and as bulky as like having pallets of sandbags there or a bunch of buckets there. You could have those chains there where it's kind of awkward to walk with it, you know, so you can't really like run the whole thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> but, you know, I guess we're going to find out more on how like, you know, 2023 is going to go. I'm I'm interested in this new platform Um, just to see how it, see how it goes, you know?
1: Yeah, me too. Are you doing the national series this year?
0: Nah, just, just too much travel for me, man. Just too expensive for me. I'll probably, the only race I'm planning on doing that's going to be in the national series is probably going to be West Virginia. Are you going to chase it?
1: I'm undecided right now. I got to see how my ankle heals up by February for the Jacksonville. So
0: is it still pretty bad then?
1: Um, it's still tender. I'm, I'm, I finally took a break. My daughter kind of uh, scolded me and said, "Look, Dad, you know, because I'm also a mountaineer. I'm working my way to Mount Everest um, for cool. mountaineering." And cool. she told me, she said, "Dad, if you continue to run on this ankle, how would you feel if you can't do any of your hobbies because it becomes chronic?" And I'm all like, right. "Oh, all right." My daughter's talking sense to me. I'm done running for a little bit, uh, to let it heal up and, um, you know, I'm supposed to be doing an ultra, I'm doing an ultra 100 in March. So I want to, I want to be healed up for that too. So we'll see if I do national series this year. I don't know, but I do have, as far as my Spartan goals this year, I'm going to do one of everything, um, at least. So I'm going to do an ultra this year. I'm going to do a stadium. I'm going to do a trail race. I'm going to do a sprint, a super, a beast. Um, it, and I just kind of formulated that goal this year. It's a unique yeah. goal that I didn't have before. So,
0: What ultra you got your eyes set on?
1: Um, I don't know. I was thinking about Montana. Yeah. Um,
0: I've always wanted to do that one. That one looks really, really cool. Everybody says it's a beautiful race, too.
1: Yeah, and it's right down the road from me. Um, Over in eastern Washington, it's a drive away instead of, you know, flying somewhere.
0: Uh, Have you done the Beast there? I imagine you have.
1: Yeah, it's a lot of fun.
0: Oh, man. Maybe one one of these years I'm going to try to get out there. It seems like there's always a bunch of races here local that are around that same date, you know. And I hate to not do a race that I can drive to like you because it's just so much more affordable, you know. Yep. But yeah, I would yep. like to go do that race. It always looks like a good race to do.
1: Yeah. So that's kind of my plan right now. Um, and I'm tentative on the national series. I like I like the locations they have, but like you said, it's a lot of travel. And, yeah.
0: Uh, I mean Utah and Big Bear, I mean, those are some expensive races to get to. More Utah and Big Bear, I would think. I imagine going all the way to Jacksonville's expensive for you.
1: Right. in West Virginia. Um, I've, I did, you know, a few East coast races this year and, uh, I've caught a lot of flack from our team because Riley and I are both on, uh, Heather Galnek's, uh, OCR team, Iron Edge OCR. Oh, cool. And it's, yeah, it's really East coast heavy. You know, our entire team is East coast except Riley and I, right. and, um, another girl, um, that's out in Colorado. But like I told Heather, I was like, you know, I, some of those flights that I looked at for flying over to, like, West Virginia to run with them, they were over $2,000 this year. Damn. Uh, yeah, and, you know, that used to be, what, like a seven, dollars $800 ticket sometimes right. at the most. And, you know, some of those races for me to fly from coast to coast were over $2,000 when we went to South Carolina for the National Series.
0: Yeah, man, that man. Was, And, I mean, that was a fun race to me. To I mean, but it was driving distance to me. But I couldn't I can't imagine like flying across the US to go to say like a Jacksonville race or a North Carolina race, you know. When I fly to a race it's usually like a big like mountain race, you know, that's like gonna be tough, you know. That's more than just a sprint or a super, you know what I mean? So that that would be hard to do, you know. But I mean if you're chasing the series, you know, what can you do? You know, but right. I feel sorry for all those people that fly from, like, California to come to this this swamp race that's in Jacksonville that's completely wet, you know, flat, you know what I mean? And there's, I mean, to me, like, Jacksonville's, I mean, like, two hours away, so that's not like, it's nothing like really great about that area i mean maybe to somebody out west they might think that that's a great race venue but to me that's just an average race venue <laughs> yeah it's, yeah seems like i've been there a million times too already
1: <laughs> but yeah. so if you if you could pick any race that you you know any race that you um say you know you, Say, all right, what's your dream race? What race do you want to do?
0: Man, West Virginia is always a great race. It just seems like it's always a fun race. Everybody has a good time there. Um, you know, and that's a race that's kind of, it. it it's different, but it's, it's also kind of an average venue, but it does have some steep climbs there and some technical running, and I like that. Uh, yeah. But to me, out of all the races I've done, the most you know jaw dropping race i've gone to is is killington it's the toughest race i've done man and it's the only race that still scares me that i'm not going to finish you know what i mean yeah so it's it's the race you love to hate man it's like uh, and i've always said well if i go back i'll just do the beast i won't do the ultra but if i went to that race and did the beast i would be i would be missing the ultra the whole time i know i would Okay, but
1: yeah, I haven't done that yet. But uh, both Riley and I talked about doing that this year.
0: It's a tough that. race, like without a doubt, you know. And uh, it's one of those races where people think you got to get really good at running up. You got to get really good at running up. I mean, and you do, but you also got to be really good at running down. And there's a lot of downhill technical running there too. I, I'm swear to you, I can almost remember every single place we ran that was perfectly flat you know what i mean because you were either going up or you were either going down yes and uh i mean it's just cool you know this year we didn't have the swim where you swim underneath the bridge and do the little tarzan swing across the ropes that's a pretty unique obstacle to that venue too but it's just a cool it's just a cool race man and like i said it's just it's the one that that always scares you that you may not finish and that's what makes you want to keep going back cuz it's tough.
1: Yeah. Nice. Well, are you are you staying in um the 40 to 44 year olds this year?
0: Yeah. Are you in that. So I bump up. Oh, you do? So next year will be my last year and then I'll bump up. Cuz I turn hmm. I turn 44 next year, yeah.
1: Okay. <clears throat> yeah, Abu Dhabi was my last uh, race in our age group 40 to 44 year olds, so
0: yeah so next year are you gonna do Abu Dhabi again next year?
1: yeah uh it looks like the the qualifications are pretty cut and dry nowadays. I've yeah. listened through the uh the criteria the other night on it, and uh I would love to finally um conquer that after you know two years of getting out there last year was a little bit of an anomaly, and then this year. You know, I gave what I had, but I finished eighteenth and I'm not happy with eighteenth. <laughs> uh I know I can get I know I can get in the top ten if not the top five and that's what I really wanna. Oh, yeah, I wanna well, finish out the three year Abu Dhabi challenge uh in the top five for our age group.
0: Yeah, well you gotta think, man, eighteenth with a bad ankle, that's not bad. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that was just, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a stubborn guy. I'm, yeah. I'm tough. I have grit. So yeah. that was all grit carrying me through there because there were times at that race where I'm like, man, I should probably pull out of this race because this leg is not feeling good. Yeah. But then I thought, you know what? I, I can't do it. You know, I had my daughter out here running her first time in a foreign country. Wow. Uh, in the heat, you know, uh do an obstacle. She's never faced before. Cause this is her first full year in Spartan. She's oh, cool. 15. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I was like, you know, we worked too hard to get to not just finish this race. So at a point I, I rationalized with myself as the group that I couldn't catch because that was the leader group. You know, at one time I was like, the top 15 for a little bit. And I was like, you know what, with this ankle, I'm the slowest fast guy out here. <laughs> <laughs> so my goal, the rest of the race was just stay ahead of the slower people because there was, you know, some distinctive groups and there was another group, you know, way back there. So I, I fell out of the leader group and I was like, oh, so I'm the slowest fast person out here. Right. All right. I need to maintain that. And so I just became, that became my challenge to get through that race. and uh, uh, and then thinking about, you know, just finishing it with my daughter. So, uh, she didn't let me finish it with her. She made me go do my own race cause she wanted to deal with Abu Dhabi on her own. So
0: right. huh. <laughs> that's cool. So yeah. did you said that some of the obstacles were different and I know you said they had a ape hanger there. And I remember hearing that like Ryan Atkins said, I think he jumped up on the inverted wall and there was like a two by four or something that was different and he totally just slipped right back off of it and fell on his back. Like what were some of the other differences that were on some of the obstacles?
1: Yeah. So that one was, that one was definitely a surprise to everybody. It took me twice to get over that wall because I did almost exactly what he did. You know, I assumed it was an inverted wall, just like the race wall we're used to. And I got up and I went to put my hand over and there was nothing. And I just slipped back off Mm. and I didn't fall. Um, but I saw a guy right next to me, he fell and the dude, the next time I saw him at a, at a, a water point or something, he had a sling on his arm. So he jacked up his arm and I saw another guy with his wrist all jacked up from it. Um, so that was, that was different. And then we had, um, the Z wall was a lot of fun out there. It was this modified Z wall that they had and they had some bars on it. Where you had to kind of do um almost the you know the small monkey bars,
0: yeah,
1: on a few sections of it, and that was a lot of fun. I hope they bring that obstacle um, it kind of breaks up the z wall a little bit, right, and so that was different out there and then of course, um, you know they displayed the fifty foot uh, a, um, a frame that they normally don't have except in Tahoe and maybe another race, but right. they had the fifty footer out there for a finish. I
0: bet that was fun. Um, too.
1: And then the other obstacles they had were we had to go under a lot of cyclone fence.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I saw that in the video.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so you had a you had a bunch of time where you had to slow down and you had to quickly like roll or duck under cyclone fence. And you know, there's a lot of people carrying water uh, vests and water packs out there, and you just saw so many people hang themselves up on those oh, cyclone man. fence. You're helping each other hook from it, and um, and then we ran um, through like a nasty, uh, nasty water reservoir area where it. Uh, and from my experience living in the desert for years on end, it smelled like goat piss and oh. <laughs> cat piss and. So we got to run around that reservoir and smell that the whole time. Nice. Uh, so that was a fun obstacle. Nice. Yeah. And then the sand dunes, the sand dunes, they picked some really good sand dunes for us to run up. Um, and some of them you had to, you know, power walk up, or sometimes you're even bear crawling up to kind of conserve some, um, uh, some muscle, some leg muscle, uh, right. because you are hitting fatigue on some of them. So they did a really good job putting in, um, several, several rolling, um, sand dunes out there too
0: so yeah man i can't imagine running on soft sand for 13 miles man that had to be just grueling alone as it is especially with that ankle that was bothering you too
1: yeah there's not very many times where i'm like f this but uh (laughs) i got done with the race and i sat under the shade tent and for a you know for a good hour i thought you know what i'm not coming back here i'm not running this crap again (laughs) But then I, you know, and then I Spartaned up and, uh, you know, I'm like, all right, so I'm going to go find some sand dunes and I'm going to go practice running in deep sand uh, to get a little bit more prepared for next year. And uh, I talked myself off the ledge, but for a good hour after the race, it's just like, holy crap, I'm done running in the sand. This is enough of this. But, uh, no, overall, they did a great job on the venue. Um, It's just unfortunate that... um, a lot of people can't make it because of how far away it is. You right. know, that's just the hard part is it's such a great challenging race, but it's tough to get to and expensive to get to. Right. So,
0: so at the end of the race, did you have like the normal fit aid and bananas or did they have something
1: different? Uh, they had, yes. They did. They have Fit Aid? crap. I can't remember, but I know they had bananas and they had, um, they had a couple, um, hydrating waters out there that, um, were local, I think of some hydration waters out there. And then, um,
0: that's something I always wonder, you know, I I know that fit aid is a sponsor in the U S but I always wonder like, what are the other, you know, the other countries, like what are their festival areas? Like, you know, I always think about stuff like that and think if it's, you know, if they do things a whole lot differently than we do here in the U S you know, I know that they're, trying to get most of the races to go to, you know, standard, standardize them to where they're all, you know, kind of the same, except for like a world championship race, but I always wonder about stuff like that.
1: Yeah. So we had a couple of flavors. They gave you a bottle of each of these two flavors of, um, some, um, electrolyte water with some flavoring in it. It was, um, I can't remember the brand of it, but I think it was some local or maybe European brand um and now that i think about it i don't think we had fit aids out there i I remember last year when i finished the race i'm like man a fit aid would taste good right now we didn't (laughs) have them last year and uh now that i remember i don't think we had them this year either so Mm -hmm. yeah
0: so like if somebody wanted to go to this race what would you tell them like what are the do's and like don'ts about traveling to dubai
1: yeah. Do's find as many direct flights as you can. <laughs> um, you know, because if one thing goes wrong, your trip could be hosed and, you know, you don't want to show up on the night before cause you definitely need some time to acclimate to, right. you know, get your head together, get some sleep, get some well-rested sleep because of jet lag. So first thing is, you know, find the path of least resistance. Um, I love using Delta and it's sky partners, uh, just because I travel with work all the time and I'm a diamond with Delta. And I had, you know, I have Mm -hmm. a lot of perks with Delta, but my daughter and I agreed that next year we're going to do Emirates air because there's a direct flight from Seattle to Dubai. I believe.
0: How long is that flight?
1: Uh, 13 or 14 hours. Wow.
0: That's a long time of plane.
1: Yeah. (laughs) yeah so there was a direct flight i think that's what we're looking at or maybe it's yeah or semi-direct it's a lot easier than getting it so and then make sure when you plan your trip you have at least two you know maybe two to three days in country right to get some good sleep um you know get your get your food intake back on course because when you're traveling you know you're eating biscotti cookies and all the crap they're serving you and the uh, airplane and whatever you can bring yourself. Um, And then get some time out in the, in the sand, you know, run definitely before the race. And then when you get out there for a few days, you know, give yourself some time so you can get out there and kind of acclimate to the running um, in the sand and make sure you have the right gear. Um, You are hosed if you don't have, Gators right, I imagine. And, uh, you got to have the right gators, the full shoe covered gator, where you're not having sand creep in anywhere because the sand itself is an obstacle. If you don't have gators, your feet I remember last year my toenails were so black and blue for months afterwards because all the sand that packed into my shoes. Um, and then wow. you run and that just, you just keep packing that sand under your feet and above your feet and just added pressure. And just about everybody that didn't have gators had to stop and empty their shoes several times because I seen a lot of people carrying their shoes at one point, um, you know, and out there running in the it, barefoot. Mm. Uh, so you definitely want gators. If you don't have gators, it's you're great. not going to finish in the top you know, you're, you, you've definitely put yourself out that, you know, you're at risk of, um, <laughs> just having an awful race and then it's extra weight too. Um, and then hydration, you know, make sure that, uh, you're well aware of your, um, hydration before the race. So you're loading up on electrolytes. At least I made my daughter start, uh, about a week before we went out there, of just pounding the, um, electrolytes every day you know making a routine you drink them during the day you go to bed with them so you're not just drinking water and flushing yourself and then when you get out there just make sure that you're not flushing with water and that you're loading up on electrolytes um and then maintaining electrolytes during the race because the heat will zap you out there you know there's just all that direct sun and it's no more intense out there yeah so like yeah the UV is pretty intense out there. So just make sure you're maintaining your electrolytes and your gels and whatever you need to get through for two, you know, two and a half to four hours out there.
0: So, so what was like your, like your food situation, like out there and like, did you all stay in like a hotel or Airbnb or do they even have that over there? Like what, what was that like?
1: Yeah. So I stayed, um, uh, like I said, I travel a lot for work, and I stay very loyal with brands. I stay loyal with Hilton, and I stay loyal with Delta. Right. So when I stayed there last year during COVID, I went to this uh, DoubleTree hotel, a Hilton DoubleTree, and I have Diamond status with Hilton, and they upgraded me to the largest penthouse suite they had on the top floor Hill in Abu yeah. Dhabi. <laughs> so I'm like, you know what? I'm going back to that resort because it's only you know a half hour away, forty five minutes away right. from the race. And so we stayed at a pretty nice Cush resort um, with Hilton up there. But uh, yeah, they have, um, you know, there was plenty of hotel accommodation. So we stayed in a hotel this time. Last year I did camp for a day, a night out there, yeah. uh, just because of the bus ride. I wanted to make sure I was at right. the race and um, a day early. So I did camp out last year, but there was no camping this year. I got a full night sleep in a bed and
0: probably way uh,
1: yeah, and then the food, um, where we're at, it's um, they had a huge spread, a huge buffet. They do their hotel food way different than they do in the U.S. Here, you know, you don't, you don't have the fake bacon and the powdered eggs for breakfast in the right. morning. You have, there was probably about in my hotel there was maybe twenty five different entrees to choose from in the morning oh, cool. including high protein stuff you know like eggs um turkey sausage you know they had the oatmeal there they had all the perfect endurance breakfast that all of us spartans need right um and then on top of that they had a lot of local foods there too you know beans and lentils and uh
0: taco bell curry
1: chicken for breakfast <laughs> 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 yeah so we we ate pretty good um, you know clean we um that's cool. And then during yeah, and then at the race venue they um, last year they had it, and I was glad he returned. They have a really good food truck that comes to that race. It's called the Protein House.
0: Oh, cool! That sounds good.
1: Yeah. Oh man, they have waters watermelons, um, fresh watermelon juice there. Oh wow! That's kind of like the gummy berry juice if you remember that cartoon back in the day. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know get get some watermelon juice in eat before the race because that's you know some great hydration right uh, and then uh, they have at this food truck they have like egg whites and salads and pretty healthy hearty stuff and then another one had cheeseburgers so i hit the cheeseburger and fries pretty hard after the race but of course uh, you
0: did of course you oh did. yeah oh yeah got to
1: yeah, you have to. A cheeseburger tastes so good after right. after a spark race.
0: Yeah. I'm all about, man. I don't know what it is. I think it's just because, you know, you're out there and you've sweated so much during a race. But I love going and eating, like, authentic Mexican food, you know. And just pigging out on the salsa and chips because you just get all that salt back in you from the salsa and the chips. I love it. That's, that's my Yeah,
1: outside of... Outside of when we're in California doing a Spartan race, because we always hit um, an in and out afterwards, it's Mexican food. We always go hit Mexican food after a Spartan race without even thinking about it. It's just one of those instant, like you said, it's just that instant craving you have for all those salts and all the fajitas you just pig out. Hell
0: yeah, man. That's what it's all about. Well, well, hey, Andy, man, we're... We're approaching an hour here, dude, but I always ask everybody that comes on the show the same questions, man. I'm going to ask you two. So, to this day, out of all the races that you've ran, what's been your most favorite one and why?
1: Fort Carson is always my favorite one because I, you know, before Spartan, I put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into that army post. Mm-hmm. Um, I've lost a lot of friends that I, you know, served with in the army there, you know, so that has a a pretty big tie to my adult life as Fort Carson, because I spent a lot of time outside of deployments training, you know, and working at Fort Carson. So that's my all time favorite. And there's nothing better than just you're running a race and you're staring up at You know, Pipes Peak, and you got some altitude to give you a challenge, and you can go hit Manitou Springs afterwards and do the incline. So Fort Carson's definitely my favorite race of all.
0: So is that race always an Honor Series race or no?
1: Every time I've run it, it's an Honor Series.
0: Oh, well, good. It should be, you know, it's being on a base, you know, or close to a base. Yeah. Um, so my next question is going to be the reverse of that one. What's been your least favorite race or the race you hated and why? Uh,
1: you know, I've grown to not like Portland, even though it was the first place I ever ran a race. It's because they only have the sprint. It's like, you know, it's, it's three and a half hour drive for me, but you know, there's people that fly in to do that race. And it's like, (laughs) Let's put some more to that weekend. I mean, the Washugal motocross track is a fun venue to run. And maybe they're just limited because they're on the motocross track and they can't extend, you know, a super or anything else longer than that. But that's become my least favorite.
0: Right. That makes sense. I get it. So my last question is, is how do you prepare for like a race or a race weekend? Like, do you have like a certain routine you do like Friday before the race, Saturday morning before the race, you know, what's like your race routine?
1: Yeah. Uh, my race routine, um, always, you know, I want to make sure that I've tapered off by Friday, um, and just go out on a little shakeout run if at most on a Friday and then Saturday, um, I wake up, Pretty early in the mornings anyways. I wake up at 3.30 every day. Um, oh, most people don't. Yeah, most people don't <laughs> consider that early morning. They still say night. But I like to have a couple cups of coffee and take the big dump before the race. Yeah.
0: I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, you got to do it. It's like <laughs> yep. I've never done a race where I didn't have like a pre-dump. And if I didn't have a pre-dump before a race... I'd be scared, man, to go and do a race <laughs> without doing that, so you gotta have the coffee you gotta have the coffee,
1: yeah, me too, and so that's about my routine is have some coffee, have some oatmeal, um I typically eat hard boiled eggs, um you know a little bit of a pre workout drink that I take um, it's a non stimulant one, but uh, right. um sometimes i take i also like eating. Uh, beets or having beet juice before my race it just opens up the blood vessels a little bit more i love beets and on the morning of and you know prepping for the races i eat a lot of beets and beet juice so
0: cool yeah Well, well hey man i'm out of questions is there anything that you want to add to this
1: No, um, just, uh, thank you for your time. And for those listening, uh, hopefully you're out there grabbing somebody that needs to get off the couch and getting them into a race because, uh, we need more people out there being active and leading the example of what active, you know, what active looks like, because there's a lot of people out there need us, you know, to get them off the couch. So make sure, you know, in 2023, everybody that's listening to this, you know, make it a goal to pull somebody out of a rut or off a couch or get them, get them to a race. Whether they're ready or not, get them to a race, get them to finish, and they're going to change their life, I guarantee it.
0: Yeah, and make a new friend every time you go to a race. Introduce yourself to someone. You know, I I, I do it at every race, and I do it multiple times. During the race, you know, I'm talking to everybody. I mean, become part of the community if you haven't become part of the community yet. Yeah.
1: yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's a great, uh, great tip because, um, once upon a time I just went to a race, did my race and then I was gone. But now, like you said, it's a community Yeah, man. and we, we know each other coast for coast. You know, there's just a huge group that everybody knows everybody and we're high-fiving and hugging when we get to see each other again.
0: Oh yeah, man. That's what it's all about, dude. It is. Well, Hey Andy, I appreciate you taking time to do this, man. And hopefully I'll see you to race next year.
1: Yeah, I can't wait. It'll be great. You'll see me, and I'll see
0: you. All right, man. Have a good one. All right, you too. Hope you enjoyed the interview. I want to thank Andy again for taking time to talk to us. One of these days, I'm going to go to another country and do another race. I just got to decide which one it is. I got my passport in 2021, so I don't have that excuse anymore. I just got to save up and decide which race I'm going to. Uh I hope everybody has a Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays, whatever you decide to celebrate this year. Um, I hope you got all your Christmas shopping done. I don't have all of mine done yet, and I haven't wrapped a single gift yet. I'm procrastinating the shit out of it. But uh, anyway, I hope you have a Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy Holidays, and uh, we'll see you next race. Peace.